This podcast is edited and partly recorded on Wurundjeri land. Always was, always will be Aboriginal land. Hello everyone, welcome to Books Without Borders, the podcast where two people in different hemispheres come together to talk about our favourite things, books. I'm Emma. And I'm Nina. And we are back after two and a half weeks of not talking to each other, and it feels like a longer for some reason. It felt so long. Yeah, honestly, like, I don't know what it is about <laughs> every time we have a bit of a break, it just feels like it's been forever. Mm-hmm. How, how was your time off? How was California? You've come back sporting a wonderful new hair style that I wish the listeners could see. You've got these these wonderful blonde highlights that look fantastic. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. So I got some sunshine when I was in California. That was beautiful. I saw a lot of friends and family out there. I had a great time, but I'm also very glad to be back in New York. I love being home and having fun in the city. And so I've just been like this last week preparing my summer look. You know, I got Mm. my hair done. I have brown hair for the people listening and I dyed the bangs blonde. I just went and did a little bit of makeup shopping too. You know, I'm getting all excited for like the warm weather and oh I've been wearing skirts and it's so nice Uh, even getting back to New York like New York is usually colder than California California is like just sunny constantly and like with occasional breeze but here it was pretty cold when I left and when I got back we had a couple of like hot days like actually Mm. legitimately hot so that was very nice that was a fun surprise and I'm just excited for more of that Cool, cool. On the opposite end of the spectrum, we had the coldest Easter Sunday in 40 years here. So, you know, <laughs> we're having... Oh we're my doing, god. Yeah, we're doing the opposite thing over here, heading heading into winter early. You know, climate change. Woohoo! Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Did you have a good Easter? It was nice, yeah. I went away to visit some family over the long weekend. It was really nice. Uh, just a really chill weekend got a lot of reading done in the last two and a half weeks. I've been resting a lot because my body and brain have been unkind to me. So that's not great, but it has been very productive for my reading, as has the Aurelium Readathon, which I have just jumped straight into headfirst with gusto. So because as well as the five books for my classes, there's also like side quests that come up while the month is going on. So I've been keen to actually attend to those because like normally I just kind of stick to the classes, but I've been like really, really jumping in to the readathon this month. So I've done a lot of reading (laughs) in in the last in the last two and a half weeks. So we should probably get into it because we're going to be here a while. Absolutely. I also have gotten a good amount of reading done. Not as much as you have, but it's been a productive reading two weeks for me as well. How many books have you read in the last two, two and a half weeks? I have completed three books. Okay. I have started two additional books. Okay, cool. So I've got a couple to talk about. Awesome. All right. What about you? I have finished 11. 11? Yeah. 11 books? Wait, what? (laughs) What? How many weeks has it been? Two weeks? Two and a half weeks? Yeah. 11 books. Wow. I cannot wait to hear about this. Okay. I'm ready for a show. I'm just going to sit back and relax this episode. This is all you. (laughs) 
<laughs> okay. Yeah, so finished 11, currently reading one. Um, but yeah, finished 11. <laughs> wow. Alright, so I'll start with the two books that finished up my March. As you know, last time we spoke, I was very stressed about not being able to finish Reading the World by Anne Morgan by the time March finished. Fortunately, my determination, as you predicted, won. Uh, and I did manage to finish it on the day that we recorded, actually. So I just kind of powered through and <laughs> just got it done. Just to summarise... Reading the World, How I Read a Book from Every Country by Anne Morgan is a book which is essentially a memoir of Anne Morgan's project to read a book from every country in the world in one year, which she completed in 2012. Overall, the, the book is really, really like full of wonderful insights in terms of who gets a say on the global stage, and she shares her challenges and discoveries of the diversity and richness of global literature, as well as her own assumptions and biases. And she reflects on the power and limitations of translation, um, which you and I have discussed before in terms of like knowing how well something's been translated, especially when it comes to things like poetry. I know that we've discussed that before. Right. The role of storytelling in different cultures, especially when it comes to a lot of cultures having a tradition of, you know, handing down stories through an oral tradition of storytelling rather than a written tradition of storytelling. That's, you know, very different type of storytelling. And also the political and social implications of, you know, even deciding which countries were counted as countries. Like there was this whole thing that um, I actually highlighted that I thought was really interesting. Partway through the experience, she realized that Every list she was finding on the internet of the 196 countries that she'd chosen was linking back to an American website. And that essentially meant that the Americans were like the dominant voice of who gets to be a country, which she went, hmm, that's a bit interesting. So <laughs> essentially she went, okay, well, I need, I think I'm interested in trying to find a slightly more objective voice in the matter. How about I try a new yardstick of looking up which countries have UN recognition? And then she also kind of put in a caveat that UN recognition is also still a little biased because, you know, there are certain key players in the UN, like America and Russia are still very much higher powers in the UN, stuff like that. But she ended up swapping out some countries in her list of 196 due to what she discovered in the UN. So I'll just read out the little section. If my new yardstick was to be UN recognition, and then in brackets, not itself entirely neutral given the weight of certain key players, as discussed in chapter two, then shifting from an American to a global perspective could simply be a matter of bringing Palestine in to replace the only country on the list of 196 with no degree of UN recognition at any time in its history, Kosovo. So I thought that was excellent, honestly, because it kind of makes sense with American allegiances that Palestine was not included on a country list of 196 countries. And that's a real shame, honestly. And it happens. I look, I've seen it all the time in, you know, I like to learn in my spare time just to keep my brain moving because otherwise I get really bad brain fog sometimes. I like to learn like where all the countries are on the map. And, and it's so US oriented that Palestine doesn't pop up. Israel does. Palestine doesn't. And I like that that's a choice that she made was to bring Palestine in because it is UN recognized. And she says, 
in the event it proved to be a timely decision, as on the 29th of November 2012, the UN passed a resolution to upgrade Palestine's status to that of non-member state in response to a campaign led by Palestinian President Mahmoud Abbas. So that's really interesting. I'm sure that's like super complicated to define if you're not using like one metric, because of course any metric is going to be inherently biased in some way. I know there are like, I think, 180 different border disputes around the world. So I I can't imagine like having to go through all of those. I'm sure, you know, at some point there are calls to be made, but it's really cool that she made an effort to, you know, do her research and make sure that she was representing more voices because I mean, why not, you know, in a project like that. When you're doing a project like this and you're doing it publicly, the amount of I kept thinking throughout this entire book the amount of times that she would have had to come up against people being annoyed that not o- not only with the cu- the country border stuff but also like why aren't you reading a book by my favorite author from this country or you know like all, all of these other smaller decisions as well people get really riled up about even those small things so I can't even imagine how you'd feel about making bigger decisions about honestly just doing this kind of project publicly just seems so overwhelming yeah I mean I'm even now thinking about how like the term country is very like western you know Mm. there are a lot of countries where there are various like ethnic tribal groups that Mm -hmm. aren't recognized as individual nations but consider themselves separate from their neighbors you know and I imagine yeah like that's not necessarily represented in a list of recognized countries so it's a it's a tough call to make especially with so much public scrutiny nobody can really do something like this without any kind of criticism you know Absolutely, yeah. Some other things that were really interesting throughout the book were that there were apparently some cultures that, one of the reasons that there aren't many books from there, that, um, for example, I think it was Burundi. Yeah, someone from Burundi said that, I know in my brain how to translate something, but we don't trust ourselves. We believe that those who write are particularly gifted people, European people, not a typical Burundi. Hmm. Among Nigerians and among foreigners, everyone encourages me, said a Burundi author. They are surprised that the novel could be produced by a Burundian, and the topic about refugees' experiences is quite unique. They encourage me a lot, but Burundians are not encouraging it. They say, why should I write in English, not in Kirundi or French? And they say, no one's going to read it. So basically, it seems like people in Burundi don't encourage anyone from their own country to... It's very much like a self-deprecating kind of culture or they don't want to have themselves be seen is the impression I got from there's there's more than just those quotes that I read out. But essentially they were saying like we are reserved, even the truth, we don't want to talk about it. It's very difficult for some people to say what happened among Burundians. So many women were raped, but no one talks. It's taboo. You are disgracing yourself by narrating your story. Right which is really interesting. I mean, that's just one example. Needless to say, there's many, many stories in this book that were fascinating, and I have highlighted so many things in here. Regardless of that, I couldn't bring myself to give this book higher than a 4. It ended up being a 3.75, just because it was so dense. It read like a thesis. The readability was just really low. (laughs) Like, it was fascinating, 
And if I'd been reading it for research purposes, it would have been a treasure trove. But as a non-fiction book to read, it just took so much concentration and so much effort to finish that I couldn't bring myself to give it even a four. Hmm. Which is a shame because it's fascinating and I do still recommend it to people. It's just a bit of a slog, you know? (laughs) Right. Right. Yeah. Totally. So I guess that's the main takeaway from that. And I uh, apologize for spending so long <laughs> talking about it because I know <laughs> this is going to be a long episode, but there's there's a lot to say about that one. So Absolutely. I then finished off my March reading with finishing off my reading of Good Wives by Louisa May Alcott. I ended up giving that one a 4.75. Really enjoyed it. That one got a 0.25 higher than Little Women Part 1. For me, it's a step up from the part one of Little Women in terms of plot and format. Just in my opinion, there's no little random bits of like plays and fake newsletters and stuff. It just stuck to the story. There's a lot of character development in this, especially Amy and Laurie in particular have a lot of really solid character development that you can see and it's quite realistic in terms of them, you know, properly coming into their respective ages. And it just makes it a more interesting read in my opinion, so it gets that extra... 0.25 nudge. That nudge also comes from complete emotional devastation because you know me, if a book makes me cry, it's going to get those extra (laughs) points. There were a couple of quotes in there that I I wanted to share because I thought they were kind of ahead of their time in terms of the encouragement of shared duties in the home. So this is Mrs. March talking to her eldest daughter Meg about involving her husband in the parenting of their children. So... Don't neglect husband for children, don't shut him out of the nursery, but teach him how to help in it. His place is there as well as yours, and the children need him. Let him feel that he has a part to do, and he will do it gladly and faithfully, and it will be better for you all. Which I thought was really ahead of its time for a book published in in the mid-1800s, so... There was also, in the same conversation... Don't shut yourself up in a bandbox because you're a woman, but understand what is going on and educate yourself to take your part in the world's work, for it all affects you and yours. So again, that's quite ahead of its time in terms of encouraging her daughter to not just keep herself shut up in the home with her children and actually make sure that she's still taking part in the wider world and keeping herself informed of what's going on and keeping herself part of the rest of <laughs> the rest of what's going on basically so really appreciated that that was so cool that you did that i'm so glad i found that app i I still don't know where exactly I found the, uh, like, advertisement for Mm. it that made me initially download it. I I really would be curious to know. Yeah. But um, I'm glad that you enjoyed that, and it definitely encourages me to, you know, look into whatever ones they do in the future. You said they're doing Frankenstein, right? Yeah, yeah. I still haven't used the actual app, which I think is quite amusing. (laughs) I just haven't got around to it. But, uh, yeah, I've been enjoying these little read-alongs. It's quite fun. Awesome. Did you want to do one of your books so we can get a little break from my voice? My books are a series. Oh. So I kind of feel like I should talk about them all together. That's the problem here. Oh. I could talk about my currently reading separately, and I could give an update. Oh, you know what I'll say? I'll give my update on my March reading, like, this, what I didn't finish. Sure. <laughs> so, okay. In terms of my March reading wrap-up, you know, what I wanted to get done in those last few days before, um, you know, the the end of the month came along, I did not end up 
reading the books I was supposed to be reading, unfortunately. I mm-hmm. kind of put, I put Julius Caesar to the side just because I, you know, usually listen to that when I'm like at work or commuting and I was, you know, away for a while. So I have to get back into that because I was really enjoying it and I want to get back there. So I'm like semi-tempted to say it's a currently reading, but I haven't even touched it in two weeks. So it really is like a, mm-hmm. you know, put to the side for the moment. And same with I'll Give You the Sun. I have not touched that one either, unfortunately, but okay. for good reason because I got really sucked into a whole different world and we'll get into that after you talk about a few more books that you've read. Okay. (laughs) So book number one for April was, for the prompt, a book with a metal in its name, which was The Silver Donkey by Sonia Hartnett. This is a children's novel that's set during World War One. It tells the story of two sisters who find a blind deserter soldier in the woods of France. They befriend him and help him hide from authorities. The soldier carries a small silver donkey in his pocket, which is like his little good luck charm. And throughout the book, he tells the sisters four little fables about donkeys, which I recognized a couple of them. So I'm assuming that all four of them are actually famous. Like one of them was essentially a retelling of Jesus's birth story, but with an emphasis on the donkey that carried them there. Like, carried them hmm. to the manger. What the donkey representation? Yeah. <laughs> and then one of the latest stories was a story that's familiar to many Australians, which, uh, this author's Australian, a, a story that's familiar to many Australians, which is of Simpson and his donkey, who was a um, a guy who, during the incredibly badly planned Battle of Gallipoli, during which a huge number of the Anzac soldiers, um, the Australian New Zealand Army Corps soldiers, in World War One, were slaughtered. He basically had a stretcher uh, and was collecting injured soldiers, and the donkey was helping him do that. Essentially, like he would be able to pick up more people than others because he had a donkey with him that would help him carry injured soldiers. That was one of the stories. It's well known in Australian history. Learned that one in primary school, <laughs> so that was a familiar story to me. And so I assume the other stories are also you know, other mythologies or, you know, cultural stories that are also kind of brief retellings that have emphasized the donkey. (laughs) It kind of reminds me of, you know, like the big fad right now of all these like retellings from the perspective of women in Mm. in, like mythology and stuff. It's like, you know, we should really be telling the story of the donkey too. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Everybody gets representation here. I love it. No, I think that's so cute. It was very sweet, and yeah, it was really cute. Like, they were all basically stories of donkeys as, like, intelligent, loyal, hardworking, and resilient creatures, rather than, like, the dumb and stubborn creatures that they're often portrayed to be, and I just thought that was really cute. Like, it's definitely a children's novel, like, there's there's not much deeper than that, but the kind of rescue story of the deserter soldier that's going on in the background was actually the thing that was really good in terms of as an adult reader. Like, the donkey fables were cute, but, like, the rest of it was actually really well done, and I was quite impressed. Overall, solid four-star read, even as an adult, was very cute. It was a really nice way to start off my April. I then segued surprisingly well from something that I didn't expect to have biblical a biblical story in it, but it did, into Let There Be Light, by Leona ah. Fink, which I read for the prompt for a book that had clouds on the cover. This has singular cloud on the cover, but close enough. We've spoken about this book before, but just to summarize, 
Let There Be Light is a graphic novel by Liana Fink, who is a New York cartoonist and an author. It's a retelling of the book of Genesis. I didn't actually realize when, when you were talking to me about it that it's the book of Genesis very much in terms of like the Torah. Because like, so <laughs> as someone who grew up in a non-religious family mostly, but who just attended an Anglican church because I used to sing in an Anglican church for a while, I'm not familiar with a lot of the book of Genesis. So I only knew about like the early part of it where it's like all the creation stuff. So there were actually a lot of things I learned in this that I was like, this really? is crazy. <laughs> like That's so the, interesting. Like all the begatting is bonkers. Ah. All the, I did not know about Lilith at all. Mm. Mm -hmm. So a lot of it was new to me and it was actually a very amusing way to learn about it. It was a very funny way to learn about these stories. Like, because I'd heard about the concept of begatting, but I didn't realise how many of them there were and how old they all were when they died. <laughs> like, all these men were mm -hmm. bonkers ancient when they died. <laughs> anyway... <laughs> So that was very interesting, but yeah. So yes, this uh, this female god in this book is struggling with loneliness and jealousy and anger and love. She interacts with her creations in some ways and sometimes helps them, sometimes punishes them, sometimes ignores them. It's very whimsical and witty, and I quite enjoyed it, honestly. <laughs> I think I got more out of it than you did, possibly because... I was not as familiar with the original story as you were. So I was getting some little surprises out of it. <laughs> Honestly, I don't know if what I learned even comes from what I grew up with or if it's coming from like the world religions course I took a few years ago as a gen oh. ed. Or I don't even know where the knowledge came from particularly. But because I also have attended churches because my mom's side of the family is, I mean, they're pretty much not religious, but I have an aunt who mm -hmm. is very religious, like I, individually. And so I've, I've like gone to a Sunday service with her and her family when I was kids. And, you know, I was just you know, following along wherever they were. Mm. So, like, I've gotten, I think, a lot of different perspectives on those stories, and I think, cumulatively, there wasn't anything that, like, totally shocked me, but I don't know if it was that necessarily. I think, I honestly, maybe I just wanted something a little bit deeper or more mm. educational, you know, because I did right. know a lot of the stories, like, surface level, so I was like, I, I wanted to uncover a sort of perspective on it that I hadn't heard before and I think that's right. what I was sort of missing but okay. it was still a cute story for sure yeah yeah I can see that because for me it was just like a really fun whimsical time like I wasn't really expecting much more from it I think mostly because I, I think we've had the opposite thing here of like sometimes I've read something and warned you uh, right, about it right. and so you've been able to enjoy it knowing what to expect and like I've had the opposite like you you kind of warned me that it wasn't going to be much deeper than you know like there wasn't going to be a lot of like deep feminist analysis or anything and so I wasn't expecting there to be and so I just kind of had fun with it yeah that's so great I'm so glad you yeah. had that because I keep having that from you and so I'm yeah. going to return the favor <laughs> yes. also I think now that you're talking about it what I'm remembering like what I think this book would be great for is for a kid, honestly. Like, I think adults can read it and still enjoy it, but I think this would be great for, like, teaching children Bible mm. stories. If you're, like, interested in, like, reform There's some adult religion. themes that, I, I guess know. there are some adult themes, yeah. But 
I, yeah, I can't remember all the details. Maybe maybe it's not totally appropriate, but I, I think it's like it's a fun way to teach those stories. Yeah. So yeah. my my inclination is to think like, oh, it might be good for children. Although, like I said, I can't remember if there's any explicit yeah. moments that would tr- cross the well, line. Well, it's for not parents. super it's really super up to explicit, the but like I don't know. That being said, the Bible is. Yeah, the Bible's pretty explicit. Fairly explicit sometimes, so, you know, who knows. Anyway, yeah, but for me, as someone who, you know, has had little to no exposure to much of the Old Testament, it was uh, just a fun, whimsical exposure to a lot of stories that I've heard little to nothing about, so that was was, was just a bit of fun for me. Four stars, just So glad you enjoyed it. Yeah. The art style's great. I like the art style a lot. It was cute. It was cute. It was like a little kind of scribbly style, yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you want to tell me what you've been reading now? <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. I'm probably going to just deliver it in a, you know, jam-packed review because it was a series. Mm-hmm. It was the Shatter Me series. Okay. Who would have guessed? <laughs> so... This was a journey. This was a really intense journey. There's some roller coasters that mm. I went through. I'm first going to give you an overall idea of how I feel about the series, and then I'll go into more specific details about each book and what I what I mm. liked and etc. So overall, let me tell you, I started this first book, and it was really challenging. Not oh, challenging no. to read, like, intellectually. Challenging to endure just... It was so cringy. It was so painfully melodramatic. And I really was, you know, having a a crisis moment of being like, I can't believe of all of the YA series that I've returned to that this one, my favorite one, would be so bad. Like, and on top of that, on top of that, I didn't want that feeling either because, you know, I mentioned last time or a few times ago um, that I met Tahadamafi. So she's like a real actualized person in my mind. You know, mm-hmm. I respect her as, like, a person who I've seen, like, talk, and also she has, like, this YouTube channel. Like, I don't think she's, like, made that many videos on it, but she's a cute YouTube channel with her husband, who's also a writer, Ransom Riggs, who wrote the Miss Peregrine's Home for Peculiar Children series. And so, like, I know she's really smart. I know she knows, like, eight different languages. I know she's, like, a very intellectual person. So I was mind-boggled to understand how I can confront what I know to be this this author this lovely person and this book that was just unredeemable i it wasn't mm. like okay it wasn't like we shall not name levels of bad you know but it also wasn't anywhere near good i had a really hard time rating this one because my heart wanted to give it points but there were no points there were just no points and that was a really difficult thing to confront for me like an emotional level like i i really wanted to love this book and i felt so bad i was like no i have to go on the podcast and tell people that i don't like it and um. and what if what if todd listens one day i mean you know like that's going through my brain i'm like ah. That what, what a tragedy that would be. But I had a thought. I was like, you know what? First of all, let me look into her newer writing. So I finished Shatter Me. It took me like a week. It took me so long. I mean, it's a short book. I mean, it's like maybe 400 pages, mm. 300 something pages. But it's a quick read, big text. You know, it, it's easy language. It should have taken a lot less time. But the first 30% I read like physically. And then I had to like pick up an audiobook because it was just so difficult to like sit there and keep mm. reading. But I was like, okay, first, first things first. I'm going to test out her newer writing. Like the contemporary book, An Emotion of Great Delight, that I mentioned in our March wrap-up 
because I was going to plan to read that anyway. And I was like, you know what? Let me just like see if it's gotten any better, you know? So I, I sampled a little bit of that book and I'll talk about that later when I talk about my currently reading, but I just sampled a little bit of it and it sounded really good. Like I read the first couple chapters and I was like, okay, no, her writing is good. So maybe this was just a fluke. This is her first book. Let me give her a chance. So mm -hmm. I decided to pick up the second book, even though I was really tempted not to. I picked up the second book knowing that there also was a big, let's call it a character twist instead of a plot twist, because mm -hmm. someone who you think is one way is a different way. People who've read the book know what I'm talking about. I wanted to see that unfold and see if it was actually like something I could buy, you know, like if I mm -hmm. bought the transition of this character or if I would be like, oh no, I call that BS, like this person, you know, wasn't redeemable or whatever. So I was just curious, you know, I, I was go going in trying to be open-minded. I was like, I can always quit this book if I need to. And the crazy thing was, I very much enjoyed it. It was not mm. bad. It was not cringy. There were moments in the beginning of the book that I was like, you know, still sort of tripping over some awkwardness, but it really turned around. I enjoyed it thoroughly. And the third one in the series, even better. I just kept enjoying. It was I read these two books, which are each like probably 400 pages in the span of like three or four days. Like mm. it was so good. I couldn't put it down. I mean, not to a point that like it would exceed, I think, a four star level. I think it matches the level that I put a lot of like YA that is thoroughly enjoyable, but not quite a four because it's not like an all audiences sort of recommendation. Like I put a lot of like fluff at like a 3.75 and I think that's where I'm going to put these books. Second one is called Unravel Me and the third one is called Ignite Me and mm. I'm going to put those both at 3.75 and the first one I'm putting at like a two, maybe a 2.5. I'm still deciding on that. So it was a big hump to get through, which is really rare with a trilogy. I don't know mm. if you read trilogies very often, but often the framework is the first one's great, the second one sucks, and the third one's like slightly redeemable, but not as good as mm. the first. I feel like that's yeah. the general idea with yeah. a lot of trilogies. This is totally a different script, but it sort of makes sense with the plot because it's really all about this main character, this young woman who is coming into herself and how she was you know, there's just a lot of character development, how she was very, like, cringy and, you know, self-deprecating and, you know, didn't have a good grasp on the world and how the world works at the start of the series and then sort of gets that better idea as it goes on. So I think that helped a lot. That really, I mean, being able to enjoy the characters and their interactions, because there's a really fun cast of characters here, really great loving friend group. I love a good friend group cast where everyone's just, like, teasing each other and you have such a vivid imagination of, like, who they are and what their relationships are like. Uh, I just, I always enjoy that. Mm -hmm. But there are also aspects in the series overall that were not, like, super strong, in my opinion. Part mm -hmm. of that is the dystopia. So mm -hmm. this is a dystopian YA series, and it takes place a little bit, it's pretty near future. At least that's the, that's the impression I get. And mm -hmm. this is where I think it went wrong. I think if you're going to do dystopia, you can either do it near future or far future, right? Far future doesn't require a ton of research. You can just mm -hmm. say, you know, this is the situation because it's far future and we have no idea what happened between now and that future. But if you're making it near mm -hmm. future, I really think you have to research what you're doing, you know, and validate your explanation for why the world is now dystopian because right. it has to have to do with like, I don't know, something very like 
contemporary, I don't know, climate change, like, and there were elements of that, there were, like, there's, like, name-calling of, like, political conflict and climate change as broad strokes, broad explanations for why it went into a dystopian world, but there was no, like, really tight reasoning for why the world descended into chaos or whatever you know what I mean like Mm -hmm. how this dystopian government took over the entire world I'm like reading this and thinking to myself you're telling me that one group of people took over every country on the planet all at once like Mm -hmm. in uh what feels like maybe 50 like a generation from from current day no no I don't think that's possible I just don't think that's you know I can't buy that because we're just not organized enough to do that like I I had such a hard time with that because it felt like such an easy change that could have been made to make this story so much more interesting. Like, um, you'll, you'll probably recall from a tag we did a while, or no, my tag, my game that we did a while ago when you asked about the selection and how that's a world that's also dystopian and, like, there's all these weird circumstances with, like, monarchy and, you know, Mm. in America and, you know, just, like, weird dystopian society stuff. But they're not trying to tell you this happens tomorrow, you know? Mm. Whereas this book kind of feels like, oh, my mother, you know, or the girl and the main character, her mother lived in a world like ours, so it couldn't have been that long ago. So, Mm. I don't know. I I really think that was a mistake, in my personal opinion. It made it really hard to, like, buy into the world, which is key in a dystopia. Mm -hmm. And it was definitely a shame. But I think the later books in the series, they aren't focusing on creating a world as much as they are on these, like, interpersonal relationships and, like, having fun with the characters and seeing what they can do because there's an element Mm of sort of magic. It's more like superheroes than it is magic because it's, Mm. I think the idea is that, like, in this dystopian world, genetics evolved to give certain people, like, superhuman abilities, you know? So You're right. um, You can't do that in a single generation that's dumb right exactly exactly i mean i don't know if it was like the idea was it was a single generation or that it had been building up for a while and like it just happened in that generation yeah there's no yeah it just doesn't make any sense timeline wise and i'm curious because so this was originally a trilogy this third book ends and then the acknowledgement she's like thank you for you know enjoying the last installment of this series Mm. but somehow I guess the plans changed because she came out with like three more books in the series Mm. and a couple novellas as well so I'm not exactly sure actually no I do know that they pick up exactly where the third one left off so maybe she just changed her mind or something I don't know there was more to explore in this world so I don't know where those following three Mm. books will go in terms of like world building and world development I'm kind of hoping that honestly they don't go into it too deeply because that's like the groundwork is weak and you can't just really pull Mm. something out of nowhere I think that would be a waste when Mm. really what people are continuing the series for and enjoying from the series are the the character interactions the relationships the drama you know the fun superhero powers see that's another thing like there's a lot of push and pull between this being a story of a group of people small group of people and this being a story about revolution in dystopian society. And Mm -hmm. I just honestly think the series would be stronger if it was not trying to be something that it doesn't really have the foundation for. Because, you know, there's a whole plot of, like, them trying to take over Mm -hmm. the... They call it the reestablishment, this dystopian government that's taken over the world. And it's like, 
okay, I understand that you have superhero powers, Mm -hmm. but you're trying to tell me that, like, nine people are going to take over the world again. This is just not plausible, (laughs) you know? I don't need this. I'm I'm having a good time. Like, don't take me out of it for (laughs) this unnecessary, you know. I mean, it is the plot, so when I say unnecessary, it's kind of silly because it's literally just the plot of the the series outside of, like, the romantic relationships and the the interpersonal, like, uh, friendship relationships. So there's got to be something that they do with their time. They can't just be like hanging out obviously and I'm curious to see where that unfolds in the next few books and see if that you know gets a little (laughs) bit stronger or not like I said the characters at first oh so annoying so unbearable literally nothing redeemable about them just like a wet blanket you know (laughs) like not fun but that absolutely changes so you know i'm not trying to say read this series honestly just because that first one's hard to get through if you don't have a reason to read the series then you don't necessarily need to but if for some reason you've got enough people like friends that want you to read it with them or you want to reread it after having read it in the past like i did it's not unbearable to read after you get past the first book so that's the overall look at the books <laughs> i would say as a little bit more specifically about the first one my problems were were broad and mostly i think i covered it with my explanation of the world building and what issues I had with that but also I think what was challenging was just that the writing itself was very very cringy even though this book is from the perspective of like a 17 year old it really felt like the voice of this main character was like trying to be an authentic 13 year old and maybe it did that But maybe it did that too well because Mm -hmm. it was not pleasant. It made me think of like my own eighth grade poetry that I did not want to think about. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And what was also weird about it was that this girl, this main character, she was 17. And so having a voice that felt really young, like maybe middle grade, early high school age voice was kind of odd and it didn't quite make sense with her character. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, she had a bit of like developmental delay because she was in an asylum for most of her childhood. So she was isolated and maybe that was the explanation why. I don't know, there were a lot of like reasons that you could possibly go into to explain Mm -hmm. why she was the way she was, but- um, Or it could just be that the author was writing for the audience. She knew that (laughs) she was right. I mean, but that's the thing. I don't know if that's totally it either, just because I, you know, I read a lot of like YA dystopian and I don't think they all sound like this. You know what I mean? Like even no, ones that are No, but it really worked for you when you were 14. Like It's true. No, that's true. I, yeah, I just, I think, I, I almost wish she was a younger character because it mm. would have made more sense for the voice. I think making her older yeah. was kind of just an excuse to allow this to be a little bit more romantic and like verging mm. on steamy. I wouldn't say that because it's not explicit. It's like very much YA, but maybe it was an yeah. excuse to like add some more romance in there to like make her older. But it was interesting because it, it felt like really young and I don't fully understand that choice because it could have been the opposite. It could have been instead of making her young, it could have just been an older sounding voice that was still Mm -hmm. developmentally delayed. I I don't know. I don't know. But yeah, I had a problem with the voice, the writing. It was just extremely like melodramatic and I I can't say it enough. Difficult to read. (laughs) Okay. However, that changes in the later books. I didn't have a problem with the writing or the voice in the second and third book at all and I think generally her writing 
is strong and I've seen that she has the capability of like writing a more what's the word like maybe writing a more mature voice is something she's very much capable of Mm -hmm. especially as I've been reading this other book in a motion of great delight which has a completely different tone I think it was maybe just like a writing development as her like her strengths Mm -hmm you know improved in the craft I don't know exactly what it was but I'm glad I did it I'm glad I finally revisited the series this has been a long-awaited reread project and I have a friend who is going to reread them with me and I'm really excited to get into the next ones so I don't have too much to say about the fourth book which is called Restore Me and I I think I've gotten like maybe 15-20 minutes into it but I'll be definitely reading that soon and I'll be hopefully completing the series there are three more books, Restore Me, Defy Me, and Imagine Me. And then I think there are a couple novellas, which I'll probably read as well. We'll see. We'll see. We'll get there when we get there. Okay. I'm very excited for that because this series, like I said, I finished the last two in like a three to four day period. So I thoroughly enjoyed them and I'm I'm relieved that it came back. It was a journey. Cool. Yeah, that certainly does sound like a journey. (laughs) Such a journey. uh, I am very sorry to hear about the first the first book experience. I know that you were really looking forward to that reread being a a really wonderful experience for you. So I'm so sorry that that happened. That's, uh, that really sucks when an old favorite doesn't live up to your memory. Oh, absolutely. um, I was devastated, but I'm glad I stuck with it. That just goes to show. Stick with it. Be a completionist. (laughs) (laughs) Completionist propaganda. I don't know if you were prepared for my completionist propaganda, but even though the book was terrible, I kept kept reading and I stuck through it and I actually had a really good time so we are very bad influences in terms of like we neither of us will ever dnf anything uh (laughs) (laughs) well that's the thing I do honestly dnf things not like on purpose very often but just like by dropping them and picking other things up you're more of the completionist so I oh 100 percent yeah yeah, I I definitely think (laughs) I had that in the back of my mind I mean I wasn't gonna sit through a six book series that I didn't like from book one from like page one but I'm glad that I at least gave the second one a chance because now I definitely think I'm gonna be completing the series but like you do understand now you're getting to know me better and know my completionist tendencies more why whenever you mention like you have to read Hunger Games why I'm so hesitant why because three you know no because well there's four but now because she wrote that prequel as well but like oh right whenever whenever like I start something it's a proper commitment to me I can't just like pick something up and if I don't like the first book I don't like remember how much I deliberated over the decision not to keep reading the before the coffee gets cold series you know how hard that decision was for me (laughs) don't turn yourself back into wanting to read the other one again and that one and that one's not even like a proper series series it's like multiple collections of short stories (laughs) No, I totally understand. I totally understand. And you're not often a series kind of gal, so it's... There's a reason for that. (laughs) It's a big jump. Yeah, that makes sense. I'm understanding. I'm seeing it more now. Yeah. You would... Oh my god, you would hate this. I don't know if I've told you this before, but there's this very popular series by Sarah J. Maas, which is uh, the Throne of Glass series. Have you heard of this? Is it Akatar or Court of Thrones? Well, that's a different... That's a different series by her. But she has another series called... Throne of Glass. She's got a couple series going on. But Throne of Glass is like, I think like seven or eight books long. But the thing was, I read up to book five and book five just ended on such a pleasant, you know, like well-rounded, conclusive note 
that I stopped there and I just didn't ever continue. Can you believe that? I mean, I could maybe, like if I ever got in a mood where I was like, oh, I just need more of her writing. I honestly feel like I'd be more inclined to pick up one of her other series, but I would potentially be open to reading more of the other ones, but I just felt like so ready to be done. I mean, I was already like five books in and so I enjoyed it, but you know, mm. they were like fluffy fantasy romance stories. So it wasn't like I, I felt a deep investment in it, but I enjoyed it enough to want to read five books. But after that fifth book ended, I was like, okay, they, you know, like no spoilers, they won the war. You know what I mean? Like that's the end of the story. Mm. But no, there's like three or four more books. So of course there's like other wars or mm. I don't even know, you know? So I, I don't share your yeah. experience, but I feel it coming on every so often. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> I'm sure you have anyway. way more books for us to talk about. So why don't you take it away? I do. Next up is the book that I read felt like it had to be within a certain page range. And this one was within that page range. Or the paper copy of it would have been. I listened to the audiobook. It is The Lost Flowers of Alice Hart by Holly Ringland, who is an Australian author. It's a story of a young girl who grows up in a violent and abusive household. And after a tragic event that leaves her orphaned, she's taken to live with her grandmother on a flower farm. There she learns the language of Australian native flowers, which helps her express her emotions and heal her wounds. She also discovers the secrets of her family's past and the patterns that have shaped her life and it basically just kind of goes through elements of her life. You see some patterns repeating themselves and it's a very engrossing read and it's a very emotional read and massive massive trigger warnings for basically everything <laughs> but especially <laughs> domestic violence. It's really well written in my opinion. I saw a lot of reviews online that said it was too melodramatic. I think maybe I got past a lot of that by listening to it because I think it was really well read. I can't imagine that if you were reading it like physically it would get a bit repetitive <laughs> potentially but I think because it was read really well in the audiobook I, I, I was able to kind of appreciate the writing of it even more in a way. The themes of grief, betrayal, loss, the trauma responses, learned responses to violence and what relationships should and shouldn't look like. It kind of made me think that you know everything we discussed a couple of weeks ago about what It Ends With Us was doing in terms of portraying what can happen in terms of domestic abuse relationships. Like, I feel like this is a way that it can be done quite well. This this book is quite a good example of that and also how you can see it happening in a way that it's made abundantly clear throughout. Very, very clear. Very, super incredibly clear that there's no romance in this book at all. And it's not marketed as that at all either. So I think that it doesn't have any of those <laughs> kind of potential issues that, that potentially the Colleen Hoover books run into. It sounds but, like this book is trying to do something pretty different, though. So I think uh, yes, that makes sense. Yes, it does. It is. It is, yeah. It does go through a similar thing of, like, demonstrating domestic violence quite a lot, but in a very, very different way. From what I've heard. Again, I haven't read the Colleen Hoover book, but from what we've discussed. It has one of the best opening lines of a book that I've ever read. So the opening line is... In the weatherboard house at the end of the lane, nine-year-old Alice Hart sat at her desk by the window and dreamed of ways to set her father on fire. Aww. Yeah, that's, yep. that definitely um, opens up the book. 
yes, it sets it sets a good tone. It's got a lot of characters. It's got a, it's got a, a a big revolving cast of characters because um, Alice moves multiple times, but the characters are really well formed in my opinion. Again, the voice actress in the audiobook really gives them all a very unique voice as well. So it was it was beautifully performed. Honestly, I think it's one of those times where I wonder how much the audiobook performer has like influenced how much I enjoyed the book mm-hmm. <laughs> because like I do wonder whether I would have enjoyed it as much if I'd just read it but I really really enjoyed it I gave it a 4.75 it popped up as a 4.5 in my core pile and I did end up giving it an extra 0.75 because I just was so engrossed throughout the entire thing I I just kept wanting to get back to reading it so yeah solid solid read really really enjoyed it Next one for a big, big, big mood change was a book that I'm reading for buzzwords and for a book that I chose out of multiple options, which is uh, Love Stories by Trent Dalton. So it's a collection of true stories about love in all its forms based on interviews that he conducted with people from a bunch of different backgrounds and walks of life. Basically, he, w- he set himself up on a particular street corner busy street corner in brisbane which is in queensland in australia and he just put up a sign like he was just he just sat on a corner uh, on a busy street corner in brisbane with a sky blue 1960s olivetti typewriter with a sign that just said something along the lines of got a love story to tell me or like you know (laughs) collecting love stories here or you know something along those lines which i thought was just really sweet but he was doing this I think it was in 2021 so it was you know mid-pandemic and he was feeling like it was a time when people really would appreciate hearing about connection and other people's stories of connection and love and he'd received this gift of this typewriter from a friend's mum who'd passed away and he decided that this is what he wanted to do with it he'd wanted he wanted to collect people's love stories and yeah so he had people sit down outside (laughs) because pandemic um and just talk to him outside masks on (laughs) about their love stories and just collected some of them and he told a couple of his own as well it's quite good I think you would love this. This seems like it's the kind of thing that would be right up your alley. <laughs> like, it's just people telling their love stories. Absolutely. I definitely want yeah. this. I feel like I... I'm going to need a shelf in my bookshelf, like, dedicated just to, like, books about <laughs> love. Like, I want that. That's, that's like, such a life goal. Oh, my gosh. I just, like, had this vision, yeah. and it's sparkling in my brain. <laughs> The love collection. Yes. Yeah. It does have a very Australian tone, which I appreciated. I've, I just accidentally read a bunch of Australian books. I think it's just because I, I'd, a lot of the Audible free books of the month do tend to be by Australian authors. And so a lot of the ones that I chose as books I already owned were by Australian authors. So a lot of the ones I've read are by Australian authors. But he was also reading his own audiobook. So having just like an Australian guy reading this book to me was quite fun as well. It's quite good. I feel like I would have enjoyed it more if I hadn't read it all in just like a couple of sittings. It's very sentimental and it just got a bit much for my taste. <laughs> um, it's, it's in the large doses. I'm not as much of a romantic as you are, so <laughs> I think I may have overdosed on it a little bit. It might have been nicer to spread it out a little more. But yeah, overall, very solid, cute stories, nice collection, four stars, nothing to complain about really. So yeah, love incredible. it. Thank you for the TBR mm. ad. <laughs> Wait, did no that... Problem. 
Was that for a, a prompt, did you say? Yeah, I read that for the buzzwords right. emotion right. prompt. And also it was one of the prompts for the readathon was to like close your eyes and pick out of a few options. And so I picked several emotion books and that was the one. Right. I'm remembering this now. So. <laughs> Thank yeah. you. Next up was for the prompt of picking a book recommended based on a favorite. So this was based on something that was recommended for people who love Pride and Prejudice. I read North and South by Elizabeth Gaskell. And oh my goodness, did this deliver on its promise. Oh! I demolished this book. It was a full five-star Absolutely loved it. Brilliant for a Pride and Prejudice fan. Can highly, highly recommend. So North and South is a classic novel. It was published in technically 1855, but it was actually 1854 to 1855 because it was published in serial form. Actually, and I found out actually it was published in a magazine that was edited by Charles Dickens and he also suggested the title for it which is interesting. Gaskell faced some challenges and constraints while writing the novel, such as competing with Dickens' own hard times and having to compress her story to fit the magazine's format. And the novel was not very successful at first, but it gained more popularity and recognition over time. I would argue it's still fairly underrated because yeah. for something that read so similarly to a Jane Austen novel, I think not enough people are talking about this book. <laughs> quite frankly. Although apparently it's had like three television adaptations. Anyway, it's a book that follows the story of a young woman who moves with her family from a comfortable home, kind of, you know, middle class home in southern England in Hampshire to a working class mill town, cotton mill town in the north of England called Milton. And the novel very much explores the contrast between the rural south and the industrial north of England in the 19th century. And there she meets a character who is a self-made mill owner who clashes with her over his treatment of his workers and just generally over their different views of class and various things and the may or may not be an enemy's lover story. Yes, yes. <laughs> The novel deals with themes of class, gender, religion, social justice, and it's just really beautifully done. All the characters are, well, all the characters, like the main characters are really lovable. Not quite in a Jane Austen witty kind of way, but still very lovable. Yeah, I just absolutely adored this. It's got a lot of similarities to Pride and Prejudice in terms of both novels have a pretty similar plot structure and like the dynamic between the main leads. And they also both explore social issues and customs of their respective eras. Although, of course, the you know, Pride and Prejudice is more about upper middle class and upper upper class, whereas this is about middle class and like working class. Both novels have, you know, strong female leads and themes of class disparity as well as an enemies to lovers trope. The main differences between them as well as class and setting are also, you know, the, the difference in decades. So Pride and Prejudice is set in late Regency era. This is very much in the industrial era. This is in 1850s. So yeah, North and South focus more on the industrial working class and the social conflicts of the 1850s. Strikes during the Industrial Revolution are very much a focus point and uh, focus of conflict and poverty and inequality happening during that era is very much a focus as well. 
Whereas Pride and Prejudice obviously focuses more on like rural gentry and manners. And so, you know, the conflict in Pride and Prejudice is very much subtle, uh, whereas, you know, in, in North and South, it's much more to do with the environment and what's going on around them. So it, it, there are a lot of differences there, but very much in terms of the interactions between the main characters, there's a lot of similarities there. Mm, the dynamic? Yes, the dynamics, that's it, yeah. Have you enjoyed this enough to think about maybe reading her other books? Yeah, so I was about to say, overall, I still do prefer Austen's writing style. Like, I, I she has a much more witticism in her writing. And, you know, I still prefer Pride and Prejudice overall due to the wit in Jane Austen's writing style. But I will definitely be reading more Elizabeth Gaskell in the future. And I've already added all her novels to my TBR. I have, a, she's also written apparently a huge number of short stories and novellas and <laughs> collections of various things, but that's a lot of commitment. So I've just added the novels. Um, I will be, I will be committing to the novels. Very exciting. Very, very exciting. I absolutely am interested in her writing as well. And maybe I'll be inspired to pick something up by her once I've read Emma. <laughs> I haven't started it yet, so don't get excited, but I have to read at least the first, like, you know, chunk of the book by next Tuesday. So I'll definitely have something to report next time we talk. Yay. Exciting. <laughs> Actually, there's some mild overlaps in the type of character, like main character. I think there's actually more overlaps in the type of character between Emma and the main character in North and South than there is between Lizzie Bennet. So interesting. Uh, like like the, the, uh, the attitudes generally probably are slightly more Emma-esque. Well, lovely. I'm glad to hear it. So did you want to tell me a bit about what you're currently reading before I go on to my next four books? <laughs> sure, sure. Well, how about this? I'll give you one currently reading. You give me two books. I'll give you one currently reading. You finish it off with two books. Sounds good? Sounds good. Lovely. So the first book I'll talk about as a currently reading is An Emotion of Great Delight by Todd Moffey. So, like I said, I sampled a little bit of this book to start and thoroughly enjoyed it. Mm. I only got a couple hours into the audiobook, but I can already tell the writing is beautiful. It's mm. It feels, really interestingly, it feels like what Shatter Me was trying to do in terms of... It's, it's like a very poetic writing style that she has. And I remember mm. that was something that I really liked about Shatter Me in my younger years when I originally read it because it's just witty in terms of its wordplay, you know? It's poetic, like I said. Like, it, mm. I don't know how exactly to describe it, but clearly the main character has this, like, rich internal voice, you know, that mm. is really fun to listen to. And I see how what she was trying to do with Shatter Me is done so much better in this book, which is written, I think, like almost a decade later, I mean, a little bit less mm. than a decade. But that was really cool to see how her writing has strengthened into, I think, more what she wants it to be, you know, what mm -hmm. she was setting out to have originally. So that is really interesting. I also am enjoying thoroughly the perspective of the story. So let me tell you a little bit about the story. The story is of a young Muslim girl. It's like a young adult novel from the perspective of this girl who lives in the U.S. She's she's from the U.S. She, you know, was born in the U.S., but it's, it's set in 2003. So there's a lot of post 9-11 mm. 
backlash that she experiences and discrimination. So she's forced to sort of mature in a lot of ways and mm. take on experiences that are beyond her years, you know? Yeah. And so it's sort of about her balancing this dissonant experience outside of her home with mm -hmm. a complicated experience inside of her home as well. So trying right. to understand her own struggles in the context of also experiencing all of this added exterior tension in her life. I don't know if I'm explaining this well, but like it, she, she's got all these things going on at home that make her life a bit complicated and it's just pushed further by by the discrimination she faces. And so I anticipate this book being a lot about family dynamics and her relationship with her family and her relationship with her culture. And so far, it's been so adorable. It's it's a fun, like, multilingual story as well. So mm -hmm. there's a lot of, like, Farsi woven into it that, like, obviously there's, like, translations for or, like, you can understand what was happening based on, like, the responses in the conversation. But I always like that because, especially from an audiobook, because you can really hear it in, in mm -hmm. your ears, you know, as it's meant to be said. So I think it's a fun way for authors to really portray the experience of mm. having a mixed sort of identity you know yeah because often when I'm reading a book like that and I don't know the other language you feel like the reader feels as detached or mm. like made to feel as an outsider mm. as the the main character is experiencing. I feel like my words are kind of jumbled today, but I think you get my point. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The alienation. Is, yeah, so it's you know, it's helping like helping the audience kind of appreciate the alienation and empathize with it. Exactly, exactly. I think the book that I'm thinking of that had this sort of element as well was Drown by Juno Diaz. I mm. loved that book. I read that for school a long time ago, but I remember really enjoying it. And part of the experience of it was having a lot of things unclear in, in what's going mm. on because I didn't know Spanish at the time mm. when I was reading it. So I thought that was really interesting. To the, in this book, it's not as intense. Like the Farsi is explained enough that you don't lose any important details but I, I think it's a fun it's a fun element to weave in mm. and it's also like an experience I don't read a lot from you know Muslim yeah. Americans or specifically like Persian Americans mm. and I have a lot of like Persian people in my family and in my life so I feel like I get a good amount of that perspective but specifically Jewish Persians so um, oh. it's interesting to see like similarities and differences in like like the way the, the family interacts and stuff and the language and all this stuff. So I'm enjoying this thoroughly. I anticipate it being a really cute, heartwarming story of mm. like identity and hope and coming of age and adversity and all this stuff in a very real and marginalized experience. I mean, to a, mm. to a degree, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a pretty large experience for, for a lot of people, yeah. but it's also not one that I think is represented in literature that often, especially young yeah. adult literature. So I was excited to yeah, absolutely. pick this up. That's awesome. I'm really glad. It sounds like it's going to be interesting. So glad to hear it. Totally. Totally. So give me another book. What have you read this week? All right. So next up we have, so those were my, uh, my class books done. So now my side quest books. Next prompt was to read a book that had the word night in the title or that had night depicted on the cover. I went with 
Home Before Night by J.P. Pomare, which I had as an Audible original book. So Home Before Night is a crime thriller and it's about a woman who is searching for her son, her like 19-year-old son who goes missing during a lockdown in Melbourne, um, pandemic lockdown. So she has to find him before nightfall. So there was a very brief period just for context where during the pandemic we had curfews. Like we had to be, there was one, I think, either one or two, I can't remember, but there there was at least one lockdown where wherever we were at 8pm on a, on, a, on a specific day, we had to then basically stay there for the next four weeks. Oh, wow. That was essentially, like, our movements were, uh, were very restricted apart from, like, specific circumstances. Did you get pre-notice or it was just, like, random? Yeah. No, no, it was, uh, we, we, we were given some notice, but it was the whole state was locked down, essentially, or, or maybe it was just Melbourne. I, d- I don't know if rural Victoria had the lockdown. Uh, no, I don't think rural Victoria had the curfew, actually. I think it was just Melbourne. They didn't have COVID anywhere near as bad as we did in the rural areas because, you know, fewer people. <laughs> um, doesn't spread as easily. But, yeah. Anyway, so she has to find him before nightfall, but she also has secrets that she doesn't want him to discover. And Ooh, I like this a lot. Yeah. It's hard book- to pull off, I think, a p- pandemic story this soon, because yeah. unless you're just like letting it be like, like a background thing, it's kind of like it in was. your face. It was. Mm. That's the thing. It doesn't sound like it's going to be a background thing, but it totally turns out to be a background thing. The book is super tense and twisty and... It's one of those books that throws a lot of red herrings at you and the red herrings are things that you're just kind of like, oh God, is it going to be this kind of book? And then like every time you go, oh, it's not. <laughs> tell you what, you, you never, you never see it. You never see anything coming. I'll tell you that much. Amazing. It continued, I'm so sold. It, it continued to surprise over and over again. And it's very short. It's only available as an Audible original right now. And I don't know how many countries it's available in, but I believe it's getting published as a paperback and ebook in late April. So if you wanted to use this as a new release book for one of your challenges, it's quite a manageable length. So just a heads up, it's quite a good thriller. All right. Ended up giving it a four star rating. Basically, the only reason it didn't get higher is because it's like the writing style is a bit basic like it doesn't have any of those like really fantastic like wonderful like it doesn't have like a wonderful writing style or any really great atmosphere descriptions or anything but it was certainly a very gripping thriller the intrigue was really high and you know I got out of it what I expected to get out of it and more in terms of the intrigue factor which is what you want out of a thriller (laughs) so interestingly I just went to my audible to see if I could buy it and it seems that it's being offered for free at the moment on audible yeah Yep, Audible, well, it's an Audible original, so it would be available if you have an Audible membership, so, yep. Oh, wow, okay, cool. Yeah, that's why I had it. (laughs) (laughs) Gotcha, I I didn't realize that it was, like, totally free, because I feel like most books you have to buy even though you have a membership, but I guess Audible No, no, Audible originals are um, are available. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, very and the cool. Audiobooks, the audiobook's well-performed as well. Lovely, I'm so glad. De- well, decently well-performed. It's not, like, the best, but, like, it's it's good. Okay, cool. Totally, yeah. totally interested. And it's a short one, mm. looks like. It's only four and a half yeah. hours. Yeah, yeah I, I got through it in, like, two sittings or something. 
All right. Well, how about one more and then I'll give you my last. Sounds good. So next I read another book that you've read, which is No One Else by R. Kikuo Johnson, which I read for a prompt that was, I think that, yeah, the prompt was just like read a book while having the magical readathon's ASMR alchemy room <laughs> backdrop on in the background. So I was like, well, good time to read a quick graphic novel <laughs> while I've got something on in the background. So I just sat down and read this in one sitting. I don't know if you spoke about it. it if you did speak about it on the podcast, it was like, quite a long time ago so I'll just kind of recap. No One Else is a graphic novel about a family in Maui uh, in Hawaii after the death of kind of the grandfather of the family. It depicts a divorced single mother and her son is her, her you know young son is kind of the focus point of the book in a way like he's he's kind of the main kind of running character like he's the one that appears on the most pages I would say. <laughs> His uncle returns after he's is a musician, he returns home after a long absence and tries to reconnect with his sister and his nephew, but the sister is, let's say, not dealing with the grief very well, um, or not in a way that's amenable to socialising or, you know, just generally being socially acceptable in a lot <laughs> of ways. And uh, generally it's a really poignant little depiction of different ways of coping with grief resilience and looking at family bonds it's a very sensitive and realistic way of portraying what family bonds actually look like and it's also gained a lot of praise for an authentic depiction of Hawaiian culture online which is cool the artwork is stunning I absolutely loved that and the storytelling is so subtle and like even though the book is incredibly short it actually like I ended up I found myself flipping back and forth several times because it's so fast paced that like the I kept like wanting to reread a couple of the panels over and over again just because there's so much subtlety in them and it's beautiful and I'm really glad that I own it and the messages conveyed were really poignant and beautiful. I did, however, only give it four stars because, like you, Nina, as you said when you read it, I wanted more. I really wanted it yeah. to be longer. See, I just really wanted it to be longer. I agree that it had this beautiful depth that, you know, I, I liked to see in the context of a graphic novel, you know, something that is, you know, perceived as lighthearted, but it was actually very intellectual, you know? Mm. It was very... Um, Reflective. It was very much literary fiction. Exactly, it was very literary. Graphic novel form, yeah. Exactly. And so there was something there that I liked about it that I wanted to enjoy, but I just didn't feel like the story developed enough and we that we didn't have enough time with the characters for me to really develop an attachment. Mm. So I think that was where it fell short for me. Yeah. But I agree that the, the art is beautiful. It's definitely a great piece to own. Absolutely, yeah. It's it's I think the yeah, character development and plot were where it fell down for me for the same reason. Like it was just it was just quite short. I think as a little snapshot of this family's life, I think it was really beautiful. And as a piece of art, it's five stars, but as a book, solid four. <laughs> right. Yeah. I'm on the same yeah. page. 
Cool. So before I get into my last two, did you want to talk about your other currently reading? Sure. Well, my currently reading, not to bore all of you, but is more Taha Mafi. Um, <laughs> it's technically two books, but one's a novella, so I'm just going to talk about them as, as one, basically. I briefly Fair mentioned enough. I've started Restore Me, which is the fourth book in the series. Mm-hmm. And like I said, it's going well. I was very surprised because, as I mentioned, it was a trilogy. It was meant to be a trilogy. It was marketed as a trilogy I thought it was over Mm. and then they picked it up with more books and I wasn't sure if it was going to be with the same characters or how far in the future from the ending of the third book it would be. Very surprisingly, it's all the same characters and it's like Mm. two weeks later. So it must have really just been someone changed their mind or they realized the series got really popular and decided to keep going with it because there's no real reason for why it would be considered a separate series. I, I don't think it is. I think it's all just one series now. And so I'm very glad because I liked being in that space with those characters and I'm ready for more time with them I'm ready to see you know I think especially in a a lot of romances and a lot of like trilogies dystopian YA romance trilogies specifically you get this like building development between these two characters that you develop an attachment to you like develop an attachment to these two characters that have been trying to like build this relationship in difficult circumstances you know that like they don't really get to be the the couple they want to be because they've got all this adversity going on and the story just ends when they finally get that chance you don't see the quote-unquote happily ever after or what that looks like and I think it's always nice to sort of live in that like rose-tinted glasses sort of world Mm. but I'm kind of excited to see how this story takes on the future, you know, the happily ever after story. So that's exciting. And then the novella that I started, it's actually two novellas combined into one book called Unite Me, I believe. Mm. And it's two novellas from two characters perspectives and story one of them I, I think I've, re- I've actually read this before so I it, it feels very familiar one of them is from the perspective it, it's a it's a love triangle so one of them's one one guy one of the other guy you know mm-hmm. classic the one guy who is not the love interest ultimately is unbearable it's just so annoying nobody wants that why did we have this I honestly don't think it needs to exist but that's okay you know I'm sure it was you know if she wrote it why not publish it get your coin girl but it was also like I did not need to read that I think I was just reading it to be a completionist honestly the other one which I I haven't finished yet but I'm thoroughly enjoying is from the actual like ultimate love interest perspective and that's always fun just a little bit more you know fluff love Mm -hmm. excitement butterflies it's it's good good vibes you get to see like that person's perspective as um, they watch the main character in the series go through and change their mind on who they're interested in you know what i mean Mm -hmm. it's just it's just fun it's a light read and there are actually a bunch of novellas for this series so i think there's like two or maybe even three other novella books that i'll be reading Mm -hmm. along the way so it's six books but it's also six no five novellas Four or five. Oh it's, it's a bunch of books. There's a lot of stuff to read. So this is going to take probably another good week or two. Okay. <laughs> Tadamasi oh, so overload. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, glad you're enjoying yourself. I am definitely enjoying myself. It's so much fun. I love... Another thing I just love about YA and not only these rereads, but just like books that I don't have to like take 
too seriously anyway yeah. is that you can just like dive in and wow it's been so hard to keep up with like my texts and you know like my friends and all of that because I just <laughs> spend so much of my time devouring these books yeah. you know not wanting to be torn away so whenever you find yourself in that sort of like tornado state it's I, I think that's yes. the thing we search for most of the time right yeah yeah totally understand that <laughs> so take us home Emma what else do you have on your <laughs> roster all right, so this one was for a nice, easy prompt, which was to read whatever book you like next to your nearest light fixture. So this one was, I decided just to use one of my book club books for this one. So the Gumption Club read for this one, uh, A Psalm for the Wild Built by Becky Chambers. This is a nice quick read. It's a solar punk novella, which I had to learn what solar punk means when I discovered that term. Apparently solar punk is something to do with a future in which humans have managed to use technology for good and in like a happy harmony with nature which is cool hmm. a psalm for the well built is like a, a perfect example of the solar punk aesthetic apparently i love that anyway i learned a new word today uh, <laughs> when i was writing up these notes so a psalm for the well built is a solar punk novella set in a future where humans have achieved a harmonious and sustainable society after a period of environmental crisis and social upheaval centuries ago robots as in like the type that were in factories you know making machinery and whatnot they gained self-awareness and left human civilization to explore the wilderness and they were never to be seen again the book follows a tea monk who travels around offering comfort and counsel to people and a robot who seeks to understand what humans need the book is adorable <laughs> it's so cute it's basically like a little slice of life novella but it's got like little philosophical elements to it it's got themes on connection and purpose and belonging and i'm 100 percent picking up the sequel i ended up rating this one a 4.75 it was just so cute I really wish it wasn't a novella, is the only reason it didn't get a full five star, is that I kind of wish it was just like a full proper book. I appreciate that there's a sequel and I will be reading it, but like I do kind of wish there was more kind of fleshed out backstory and then we got like the full experience rather than just a taster. You know, I know that there's a sequel, but I do like I, I just kind of wish it had been fully formed, you know? Right. Um, rather than just like thrown in as a taster. But then again, maybe that would have lost some of its charm if it were. I don't know. I don't know. But anyway, 4.75 is where I landed. I wrote down a couple of little quotes that were towards the end that honestly I really needed to hear <laughs> and that kind of made me cry, happy cry a little. Oh, I um, love that. Oh my gosh. So. You are an animal, and animals have no purpose. Nothing has a purpose. The world simply is. That does not sound happy out of context, I just realized. Um, <laughs> I like that, though. It's it's peaceful. Yeah, exactly. It's like a an acceptance thing. Mm -hmm. And then the follow-up to that being... So this is all in the same phrase, basically, but I've cut out, like, extra bits. But it is enough to exist in the world and marvel at it. You don't need to justify that or earn it. You are allowed to just live. That is all most animals do. Yeah. And of course, as someone who has had to go through a lot of changes in the last few years in terms of slowly, slowly realizing I can't work anymore, my ability to contribute, contribute. to society. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> contribute um, to the capitalist machine. 
Exactly. Um, All that has been compromised by my own body. Having this message of, you know, a reminder that in the grand scheme of things, I'm an animal and animals have no purpose. And, you know, humans have kind of self-aggrandized the fact that we need to have a purpose and maybe we don't need to have a purpose and maybe we can just exist and that's okay. It was kind of a message that I needed to hear right now. And the you don't need to justify or earn your life, you're allowed to just live was a message that really rang true (laughs) for me. So um, yeah, I really appreciated that. I love when a book comes into your life at the right moment, you know? It really did. It really did. That's been, it's it's an ongoing acceptance journey for me right now. uh, And I need that reminder every now and again. Lovely. Moving on, the next prompt was to read a contemporary book, again, nice easy one, and uh, happened to fit well with the other book club book I had to read, which was for Read Around the World, that was Canada, we're reading an indigenous Canadian author, Johnny Appleseed by Joshua Whitehead, who's a two-spirit, ojinohio, queer scholar and writer from Pejwis First Nation. It's very much a slice of life story like it doesn't really have a plot it's a very candid kind of coming of age story basically it's about johnny who is a young two-spirit indigi queer person who works as a cybersex worker in the city and has to return to his reserve for his stepfather's funeral the novel follows his memories of his life and love and trauma and resilience, as well as his memories of his relationships with his kokum, um, his, his grandmother, his mother, his ex-boyfriend and his friends. And, you know, there's just a lot of discussions around identity, sexuality, culture, community, healing I always find slice of life stories really hard to review because there's like (laughs) there's just not a lot of plot or anything to talk about but the characters were super well fleshed out um atmosphere was really well done writing was great plot and intrigue were kind of like not super relevant but overall it was you know decently well done I'd say and it was a very enjoyable read the characters were definitely the strongest part of this book like you know corpile wise (laughs) I gave the characters a 10 everything else kind of sat around an eight eight or a seven ended up giving this a 4.5 overall very much worth reading and I look forward to reading it again in the future I think this will be worth a reread in the future I don't really have a lot to say about it because it's just you know it's it's more it's 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 just one of those books that it's more of an experience than a discussion point I guess like it's right. just it gave a really nice insight into this particular character's experience of what it's like to be two-spirit and indigenous but it was not like throughout it was made pretty clear that it's not like a typical example of what it's like to be a native you know like he said over and over again like I don't really feel like I'm a true native because here's an example of what a true native might look like. You know, here's my friend who's way more of a a true native than I am, you know, like that kind of stuff. But I did get, you know, small glimpses into cultures that I'm otherwise completely unfamiliar with. And that was really cool. And, And that's the main thing that we like to get out of the Read Around the World book club. So that was really cool. Yeah, I appreciated it. But yeah, apart from that, I am currently reading Frankenstein. I'm doing the read along. This feels very different to do as a read along than Little Women. I kind of wish that I could just finish it because like it's 
like Little Women is the kind of book that you, it like it's quite slow paced anyway, and so it feels like it's a nice thing to just read it a chapter at a time. And also, I'm rereading. I was rereading, so that feels different. Whereas with Frankenstein, I've never read it before. And also, it's got more of a plot. So it feels like it's maybe not the best choice to spread over an entire month. And I do worry that my experience of it is being not improved by doing it this way. Are you considering the possibility of just going off on your own? Because why not? Prioritize enjoying the book. I don't know. I'm thinking about it, but I'm also thinking about starting a reread of The Book Thief mm. because the next prompt in the side quest is read an old favourite and I haven't read The Book Thief in I think nine or ten years and I love it and it's one of my favourites and definitely I want to do, do for that. A read. So I might do that first and then cool. see how I feel about the Frankenstein read-along as the month goes on. I mean, I'm already, it's already past halfway through the month, so I feel like I might as well just keep going with the read-along, just keep going with the experience, why not? Right. I mean, of course it's fun to do it as a read-along and see how it feels, but also it's a new thing that they're just figuring it out now, so yeah. if it wasn't a smart choice, and if you think you could be enjoying the book more without this experience, I would say the priority is enjoying the book, no? This is very true. This is very, very true. You can only be See, this is this is my my commit my commitment right. <laughs> uh, addiction is interfering with my enjoyment again. Well, you're right. Yeah. Think about it this way: you can only read a book for the first time once. Like rereading it, you know, maybe you can like push yourself to do it in different ways, but you don't want to taint the first time you read it because if you read it and you don't enjoy it, then you're not gonna reread it. You know what I mean? So you might That's as true. well prioritize that. That's just my perspective. That's true. That is true. I'll think about it. I will think about it. All right. All right. So I don't think we will do a TBR section this week because we've spoken enough <laughs> today. So many books. Did you have any hauls though? I did not. Sadly wow. and gladly. You went to a new location and you didn't go to a bookstore? I, I didn't go to a single bookstore. You know. Wow. Not to throw shade or anything, but bookstores aren't really like LA's thing. Wow. They're more like television people. That's the general <laughs> idea. Fair enough. <laughs> Okay, well, thank you everyone for listening to this bumper episode of Emma Reads All the Books, no, um, <laughs> of, uh, <laughs> of Books Without Borders. If you want to get in touch with us, we have an email address, bookswithoutborderspod at gmail.com. That's bookswithoutborderspod at gmail.com. That is in our show notes, along with a list of every book that we mentioned in this episode and some other resources as well. And we will catch you next time. Thanks, guys. Later. Bye.